Hi, my name is Melissa. I'm going to be reading um, 2 Thessalonians 1. And as you can see, it's on page 1021. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. And this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm Rachel. I'm going to be doing the second Bible reading, which is Luke 16, verses 19 to 31 on page 899. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go to, from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Then he answered, then I beg you, father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hi, 5.30. If I haven't met you before, my name is Andrew. I'm the pastor of the morning service here at McCoy Park. It's great to be with you here this evening. 
If you've been a Christian for a while or been coming along to church for a while, you'll know that we say the Apostles' Creed. It's something that Christians have said for centuries. And there's a line in the Apostles' Creed which goes like this. It's up on the screen. It says this, that Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. I wonder if you've ever considered how serious and weighty that line is that Jesus is one day coming back as a saviour, but also as a judge. It says the same thing in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5 is up on the screen, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what we're looking at tonight, the heavy, the weighty topic of judgment and hell. Now, if it's your first time with us tonight, welcome. It's great that you're here. And before you start planning your exit route out the back door, um, please stick around. I want to say we don't preach on this every week. This is not part five in a 20-part series on hell. Um, I can't remember the last time we did a talk standalone on hell and judgment. The reason we're doing it is we're actually in the middle of a series looking at the end times, looking at the future. And in the coming weeks, we're looking at encouraging topics like heaven and hope. I'm sure Josh has those easy topics to preach on. I'm stuck with preaching on hell. It's a topic we're often pretty flippant about, I think. You know, we say things like, uh, maybe you've heard people say things like, I'd love to go to hell. All my mates will be there. Or we say flippant things like, my boss is making my life a living hell. Or we have songs like Highway to Hell by ACDC. I mean, no one is choosing to have that song sung at their funeral, are they? <laughs> because it's a, it's a weighty topic, Hell, and we're, off, we're from flippant about it, but it's serious. But where I want to start before we look at this topic is actually with the most famous verse in the Bible. It's up on the screen, John chapter 3, verse 16. You've probably heard it before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, God is a God of love. He loves you. He loves the world. Yes, he's a judge, but actually core to his character is he's a God of love. And he loves us so much, he sent his son for us, it says, to die for us so that we would not have to go to hell. God does not delight in sending people to hell. I want you to hear that loud and clearly. In fact, he so badly wants us to avoid it that he gave us the most precious thing, his one and only son, In other words, hell is so serious that he'd give up his son so we'd avoid it. And the message of Christianity is that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish. The message that we preach, that we proclaim, is not first and foremost judgment, but it's the mercy, the peace, the love, the forgiveness found in Jesus See, 
you actually, if you take away hell, you actually minimize the love of God. I actually think it's only when you reflect on hell that you realize how much God loves us because it's not just a flippant love. He gave up his precious son so we would escape hell and judgment. And so as we launch into this topic, do not hear me as some kind of hell and brimstone preacher that, that delights in condemning people to hell or imagine a God that delights in this topic. It's been said that the only way to talk about hell is with tears. The only way to talk about hell is with tears. My deep desire, God's deep desire, is that you do not end up there. There are three questions tonight about hell. Is it fair? What's it like? And how do I avoid it? Is it fair? What's it like? How do I avoid it? The first question, is it fair? And I'm sure if you're like me, you've struggled with this question. You feel unsettled, unnerved by this concept of of hell, of judgment, of eternal suffering. And can I just say, I think that's the right way to feel. I mean, if you kind of like find this topic relaxing, then maybe you're probably a little bit callous and you've got issues. This, This should be unsettling. This should be confronting Perhaps uh, you think, I could never believe in a God like this. I could never believe in a God that would send people to hell. God is a God of love. I mean, it's one thing for him to send the, the, the child abusers to hell, but, but ordinary people? I could never believe that. And so it's for this reason that many Christians have tried to shy away from this topic, tried to kind of downplay it, not talk about it too much. Uh, I think of a pastor in America called Rob Bell, uh, quite a famous pastor. As the years went on, he started drifting more and more from the Bible. And then he wrote this book called Love Wins. The premise of the book is that everyone goes to heaven. But we believe that this Bible is the Word of God. We can't pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. It's not just that, but Jesus himself spoke about hell. There's this idea out there that the Old Testament God was the one who was on about judgment and he was angry. And then God went and had some therapy. He had some anger management classes. He took a chill pill and then Jesus came. He was all about love and forgiveness. No, Jesus actually talks about hell quite a lot and judgment quite a lot. And so we can't avoid this topic Is it fair? Does the punishment really fit the crime? I reckon that's the key question. Does the punishment really fit the crime? I mean, you steal a loaf of bread and you get a life sentence. That punishment does not fit the crime. You commit murder and genocide and you get a life sentence. That punishment does, I think, you'd agree, fit the crime. That's the key question. So what's the crime? It's the worst crime imaginable. It's sin. It is rebelling against the holy, loving God. He clearly, it's not just doing bad things. It's more than that. It's a personal offense against the God who loves us and made us. 
It's breaking his laws. It's saying to God, God, I want nothing to do with you. God, I don't want you to be God. I want to be in charge. And I'm not going to acknowledge you. I'm not going to respond to you. I want you out of my life. Hear me loud and clear. The Bible says we've all sinned. I'm not up here saying, you know, there's these people out there and they're sinners, but look at me. The Bible, we've all sinned. I, you and me, we've all rebelled against God. The default state, we've all fallen from God's perfect standards. And this matters because it's against God. I remember when I was a kid and I first swore at my parents. And my mum grabbed a bar of soap and washed my mouth out. (laughs) Now that was offensive. But imagine I swore at the Queen of England, told her to get lost. All of a sudden the stakes feel high, don't they? The Queen of England. And that helps you grasp why this is so... This is God. Perfect, holy, pure, eternal. You see, you take away hell and you actually take away the perfection and the holiness of God. Take away hell, you take away the perfection and the holiness of God. God cannot tolerate impure sin. He's just. He can't just let it off the hook and pretend it doesn't happen. That would be unjust. Imagine if a murderer in a law court was able to walk free. The judge let him off the hook. That would be unjust. God can't just say, ah, don't worry about it. No, it must be punished. And I think deep down we want justice, don't we? When I look at the gun massacres in America, when I look at the injustices in our world, when I think of the wars, my heart longs for God to put all things right in the end. My heart longs for the day when God will wrong the rights. We all want justice. The, the justice. The, the thing is, we, we don't want it to involve us. We don't realise that we, we too, I mean, we may not have done crimes as, as awful as those, but we too are facing the punishment of God for the wrong that we've done. And so I want to encourage you to recognise how serious your sin is. We're not just talking about little wrong things. There's a reason Christians have held this topic so seriously for so long. We need forgiveness because we have committed the greatest crime imaginable. Second question, what's hell like? We'll look on the screen. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to stick with these verses for a while, so we'll keep them on the screen. 2 Thessalonians 1, it says this about, this is about the day that Jesus comes back. It says, Jesus will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I've got four things that these verses tell us about hell. They all start with P. The fourth one I've fudged a little bit to try and make it also start with P. Four things. Number one, 
punishment. It says there that Jesus will punish those who do not know God. He will come as a judge. And again, this is something we all deserve. In the other passage we heard, read Luke 16, the man who ends up in Hades, there's words like torment, agony, fire. Now, hell may not have literal fire. Perhaps those words are probably metaphorical there, but the the point is clear that it's not going to be good. Punishment, second word. Hell will be populated. There's an idea out there called universalism. The idea is that in the end, everyone's going to go to heaven. According to the Bible, no. People will be there. It's a real place. It's a real destination people are facing. The third P, permanent. See it there that says they will be punished with everlasting destruction. In our other passage in Luke 16, the rich man who was in Hades, there was a great chasm that no one could cross. He couldn't just kind of leave and go somewhere else. There's this idea called purgatory. I'm sure you've heard it. The idea is that, you know, after you die, you kind of get a second chance. A chance to kind of, if you're on the path to hell, to kind of clean up your ways and get on the path to heaven. It's nowhere in the Bible. In fact, the opposite is clear in the Bible, that we live one life, we die once, we then face judgment, and in this life we have the window, the opportunity to respond to Jesus. It's permanent. And the last P, hell we will be shut out from God's presence. Shut out from God's presence. That's what it says there. Shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. In many ways, I think this is actually the most devastating one. People disagree about whether God is present in hell or not. I actually think that he is. It's not that the devil is the one running hell with a, you know, a pitchfork and two giant horns sitting on a throne like you see in cartoons. I think God would be present there, but, but not in the same way he's present here. Not present with goodness, but present with judgment. And all the things that we experience in this life, the good things that come from his presence, love, Family, food, wealth, laughter, music will be gone. Now, in some ways, we send ourselves to hell. Because we say to God in this life, God, I don't want you. God, I don't want your presence. God, stay out of my life. And then God says... Okay, if that's what you want, if you don't want me, if you don't want my presence, okay. Friends, hell is a terrible place to be. You don't want to be there. You don't want to say, I love to be there, my mates are going to be there. That is not the case in the slightest. 
That's that question. How do we avoid it? How do we avoid it? There's a TV show on Netflix called The Good Place. Anyone seen it? A few people want to, yeah. It's not massive, but it's a good show. It's a comedy. And uh, if it, basically the premise of the show is that this woman ends up in what is basically heaven. And everyone there has ended up there because they've lived a good life on earth. As they did good things on earth, they actually were awarded good points. So, you know, they gave to the poor 200 good points. They, they looked after an elderly person as they crossed the road, 100 good points. And at the end of their life, the good things outweighed the bad and they ended up in heaven, the good place. The, the plot is kind of that she actually shouldn't be there. It was a bit of a mistake and a mix-up and she's got to reverse all the wrong that she did in her life so she's good enough to be there. I actually think this show reveals, reflects what most people think is the way you get to heaven and avoid hell. Most people think the way you get to heaven and avoid hell is if you've been a good person on the whole and the good things you do outweigh the bad. But we've seen that we've all committed this crime of sin, that God is the holy, perfect, loving God, and none of us can ever say that we can get to heaven on our own. None of us can ever say that we're good enough for God. Actually, I think that if you do think you get to heaven by being good, that she's very proud. It means that when I talk to my family members and friends that aren't Christians, it means that I can say to them, well, I'm going to heaven and you're not because I'm a good person and you're not as good as me. See how proud that is? The message of the Scriptures over and over again is God's love and grace. It's not based on us. It's not based on our track record. We're stuffed on our own. It's because of Jesus. Hear this. Jesus has experienced hell for you. Jesus has experienced hell for you. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane preparing to go to die on the cross, he prayed to God, God, if, if it's your will, would you take this cup away from me? The cup is the cup of God's judgment, God's anger against sin. He knew as he went to the cross, he'd be experiencing the judgment of God. And as he hung on that cross, he bore the weight of God's wrath and anger. He suffered hell so you do not have to suffer hell. He's perfect, and yet he paid the punishment you deserve to pay. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. That he would experience hell so that you don't have to. That's why when you take away hell, you minimize the love of God. When you're in a bushfire, the safest place to be in a bushfire, where is it? It's where the flames have already burnt. That's why we do backburning. We, we burn parts of the bush in controlled circumstances because it's so much less likely that the, the flames will burn there again. 
Well, if we want to escape the flames of hell and judgment, where's the safe place for us to run? It's where the flames of hell and judgment have already been burnt. Jesus Christ. He experienced judgment in our place. We must run to him. Only in him, by trusting in him, can we be forgiven. Can we be saved? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. No place for pride. It's only by trusting in him. And if you do, if you've done that, you do not need to fear judgment. You do not need to fear hell. The Bible gives us an assurance, a confidence that we are God's children, that we are forgiven, and that we will not perish. Hallelujah. On the screen is a picture of a woman, Rachel Denholander, and on the right is a man called Larry Nassar. They were on the news quite a lot about five or so years ago. Larry uh, committed sexual assault of about 100 or so teenage girls uh, who were gymnasts. He was a physio. Rachel was one of the first ones to come forward, and many others followed. Larry was sentenced to lifetime in prison. Rachel had an opportunity to address Larry in court. And listen to what she said. Listen to the way she talks about hell and judgment, but also the grace and forgiveness of God. Listen to these powerful words. She said, The Bible carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found and it will be there for you. That's the gospel. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, instead of judgment, Grace and mercy is on offer for you in Jesus if you would only come to him. In light of this, I think there's two things we need to do. The first one is we need to warn people, don't we? We need to tell people about the danger that, that they're facing and, and the hope that's found in Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we started this church here in Macquarie Park because we want to be on mission to our friends and family, to the city of Ryde, to the university, to our colleagues. We want people to know the forgiveness that's on offer in Jesus and escape judgment. We want to see hell as empty as possible and heaven as full as possible. That's why we're here, isn't it? Isn't that why we're, we're here Maybe you're thinking, well, that's just scare tactics, Andrew. That's just scare tactics, scaring people into becoming Christians. Well, you know what? It actually is. It is. If I've got a sickness that my doctor knows about, 
I want my doctor to tell me the scary news so that I get the help that I need. If a car's about to hit me, I want someone to yell at me, scare the living daylights out of me so I notice and jump out of the way. Actually, it's loving to do that, isn't it? One of the most convicting videos I remember watching, it was on YouTube. Somehow I got down the YouTube rabbit hole. And it, it was this atheist and millions of followers. And he was angry that more Christians weren't trying to tell him about Jesus. He wanted more Christians that he knew to be trying to evangelize him and tell him about Jesus. Because he said, well, these Christians believe that I'm going to hell. Well, if they're really loving, they should be pleading with me more and telling me more about Jesus. And that really convicted me. It's true, isn't it? If we love our friends and family, we, we want them to know the grace and love of Jesus. That's why we're running Alpha here at church on Tuesday nights next term. That's why we, we're on mission and partnering with Robert Menzies College as we minister to the uni students and as we want to reach out to our colleagues and friends in the area. Listen to this quote. It's from Charles Spurgeon. He said this. He said, If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Perhaps you're here tonight and you've never actually responded to this warning yourself. Maybe you've never actually responded to the warning of your sin and God's judgment and become a Christian yourself. Can I plead with you to listen to the warning, to trust Jesus, to receive the promise that you will not perish but have eternal life and do it before it's too late. In that passage from Luke 16, the rich man, he's, he's there in Hades and he, he pleads with Abraham that someone would send a warning to his friends and family to tell them about judgment. And the response he gets is that they have all the warning they need in Moses and the prophets. It's talking about the Old Testament. They have all the warning that they need in the scriptures, the Old Testament. And it's the same with us. We have all the warning we need in the Bible. We have all the warning we need in the life of Jesus. Jesus revealed himself to us, came amongst us, died and rose again. No other religion is that verifiable. No other religion has God enter our world. We have all the warning we need. If you are here and you haven't yet become a Christian, can I plead with you to look at the evidence, to talk to the friend that invited you along, come chat with me after the service or with Josh. Begin a journey. Or maybe you're ready tonight to become a Christian, to escape judgment and receive forgiveness. Maybe you're ready tonight.
There's a prayer I'm going to give us an opportunity to pray. It's up on the screen. Let me read you through it. The prayer goes like this. Dear God, sorry that I have sinned against you and rejected you as God over my life. That's acknowledging the crime we have committed of sin. Let's keep going. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross in my place, making it possible for me to be friends with you again. Next line. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please help me to live from this day forward with Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Amen. I'm going to give us a moment to pray that prayer together. For some of you, you might be praying this for the very first time. For others of you, you're already a follower of Jesus. You don't need to become a Christian again. But it's a great prayer to pray still for all of us. I'm going to lead us in this prayer. I'm going to leave a silence after each line for you to repeat the line to God in your heart. Let's bow our heads and pray this prayer together. Dear God, sorry that I've sinned against you and rejected you as God over my life. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross in my place, making it possible for me to be friends with you again. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please help me to live from this day forward with Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Amen. If you pray that prayer, hear this promise. Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You do not have to fear the judgment. You do not have to fear hell because you know and have the guarantee that you are God's child, forgiven, and the hope of eternal life. Hallelujah. I love if everyone would pull out on your seats a card. There should be a card on your seats an invitation card. Because if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we want to encourage you and help you as you take your first steps as a Christian. Or perhaps you've got questions or things that have come out of this talk. It'd be great if you could put down as much information as you're happy to, name, your email. This is only going to be read by Josh or myself. We're not going to be publishing this online or signing you up for spam email. And you might want to tick one of the boxes. The first box, I have accepted Jesus' invitation and become a disciple today. If you pray that prayer for the first time and become a Christian, tick that and actually come and speak to me and Josh. I'd love to encourage you, celebrate with you and give you a gift that we've got for you. The second box, maybe you're thinking, I'm interested, but I've still got questions. That's totally okay. Tick that second box. You're not signing up for anything or locking into anything. We just want to send you some information about our courses that we run and how to help you on your journey. The third box, I'm just visiting. Thank you for having me. The fourth box, if you'd like to get baptised. And that last box, maybe God's been challenging you. You want to write something there. Maybe you want to pray for something. Write it in there. Or maybe you've got a question. Maybe you disagree with something I've said, whatever it might be. 
you can write in whatever you want to say in the bottom there. I think it'd be great if we'd all fill this out. So just so that a few people don't feel uncomfortable. If we all did this, this would be so great. There's, always, there's a box forever under tick, I think, on this. So we're going to have an item now. Play for us. And as the band leads us in this item, please stay in your seats, listen to the amazing lyrics, and let's fill out these cards.